Getting split Getting ready. Split Getting ready. split ready. Getting split ready. For my wife. God rest her soul. Oh God, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. She's not dead. <laughs> We're just divorced. Unscripted and honest discussions on divorce and separation. Getting split ready. What was I supposed to tell him? I divorced you from the show? Here's your hosts, Doug Katz and Mariah Pleasant. Welcome to Getting Split Ready with Douglas Katz and Mariah Carey Pleasant. In the studio today, great expert Steve Rakowski from K&R Family Legal Services. And today we're talking about those four-legged kids and furry friends and what happens to them during a divorce. Thanks, Doug. First of all, I want to thank you for inviting me to be with you here this morning. It's kind of exciting to see all the technology here. My name is Steve Rakowski. I'm a domestic relations attorney, sometimes called divorce lawyers. And uh, I own and founded and operate a firm in Northbrook called K&R Family Legal Services. We focus our practice uh, exclusively in domestic relations and all facets of uh, dispute resolution in the domestic area. So we can do uh, dispute resolution via mediation, via collaborative law. I think that's how we met. That's how we met. And uh, if necessary, uh, and in the unfortunate circumstance, we also are extremely experienced in um, litigation as well. I've been doing this for 28 years and uh, love what I do. A lot of lawyers ask me, how can you deal with the emotion of it? How can you deal with the, uh, the anxiety associated with it? And I can tell you that uh, one of the things our firm prides itself on is helping people work through that not to let that get to be uh, the, the focus of the case. We encourage people to uh, be involved in their divorce cases, uh, make compromises, and uh, to the greatest extent possible, uh, achieve a dignified outcome. Uh, our office, as I mentioned, is in Northbrook. We also meet downtown uh, when necessary. We go to all the uh, district courthouses in Cook County, not just uh, the Daly Center. And we also take cases in DuPage, uh, McHenry, uh, Will, and Lake Counties. Fantastic. Well, and it's a really exciting topic today. And it was one of the ones that you actually presented at the group that we're part of. It's about four-legged friends, you know, the the furry kids that people talk about. And just knowing, uh, it's about pets, obviously, and pet custody, which is a newer thing. I think I've read that Pets are a multi-billion dollar market, and it really is interesting to me that it hasn't come up earlier as a big issue when people are splitting up. So how long has pet custody or pet resolution been a thing? Actually, it's been an issue for years. The main change since January 1st of 2018 is that now when a court is is involved in a decision— and it's being asked to decide who gets uh, a companion animal. That's how. That's what we're calling pets okay. in the statute now, companion animals, um, to be distinguished from service animals. And uh, and yeah, I can tell you, mine mine at home are definitely not service animals. <laughs> we only got companion animals in my house. So companion animals now have to be uh, allocated uh, with a consideration of what's in what's their well being. How does uh, an award of this personal property, it's still considered personal property, mm -hmm. Uh, but the court has to do so with an eye towards 
maintaining its well-being. Oh, that's fantastic. And that's what's new, primarily. Wow. It's funny hearing that it's personal property because, again, I, I, I refer to my wife because she's the, the, the definite dog person in the house. And I think we consistently have three of them running around and maybe a, maybe a foster dog or two. Um, but those uh, definitely looking at it from personal property is a really, really different angle because it, people look at them as family members. That's true. A lot of people call them their fur babies. So what makes uh, pet custody different than, say, child custody or parenting agreements? So child custody is very uh, well regulated in the domestic relations uh, area. Uh, by regulated, I mean there's a statute that tells a judge what considerations it has to make in making its decision about how to award custody. Now we call custody an allocation of decision-making, right? Or right. Parenting responsibility. But um, for 25 uh, years of my 28-year practice, it was custody. So I sometimes find myself yeah. you know, falling back on the old nomenclature. Uh, but the difference between child custody and dog custody is there's really no guidance in the, in the law, in the new statute, about how a court is to determine the well-being of the animal. So uh, <clears throat> when I spoke at the uh, North Suburban Collaborative Practice Group, my, one of my major uh, suppositions or projections is that eventually a court's going to have to default to some of the older uh, methodologies in the statute reserved for custody to determine what's in the best interests of pets. So similar to a parenting time agreements uh, crafted by the couple, since there isn't, doesn't sound like there's a lot of guidance for that at this point. They're kind of coming to their own uh, well, well so it's always the, the lawyer's goal to help the parties achieve an agreement. And 96% of, better than 96% of, of all the cases in Cook County at least settle. So the, the, the vast majority of these pet cases are going to settle. And so what we would do then is we would, the lawyers would craft an agreement that uh, embodies the party's unique lives and their unique decisions about how to uh, co-own this animal. Um, but in instances where you can't agree, then a court's got to decide that. And that's where uh, the questions come in about how to interpret the statute. So when, when you're talking about personal property, you know, I look at <clears throat> an iPhone or a motorcycle, like I love my motorcycle, but my motorcycle doesn't necessarily have something specific to it about the care and maintenance where it's a living thing. So, you know, when you're when you're looking at an animal and, and you're negotiating with the other side, or you're trying to figure out a, a good outcome, what are some of the considerations with the determination of public property? I mean, it's a thing, but it's a thing that could be impacted positively or negatively by the decisions that you're making between the two parties. What are some of the considerations with that? Well, when... A court is asked to look at uh, or is asked to make a decision on the issue of awarding a uh, companion animal. Uh, it will look at, um, in my experience, a, a goal of reducing the change, right? not significantly changing the life of the animal. And that's 
so far, what I've seen is a very superficial analysis. But there's a potentiality for uh, more in-depth, more, uh, I guess, scientifically-based criteria to determine what's best for this animal. For example, uh, huskies. I'm going to use dogs in this example. I'm good with that. I'm a dog person. I'm not, not, to, person. not are you, What not, are you, Mariah? Are you a dog or a cat person? I am a dog person, but I think it's by default. I have allergies, so I've never ah, been able you. to be a cat person. So I'm not speaking bad of cats or cat people. I just haven't been able to do that. So not to disparage cats or, or their owners. I'm going to use the dog example here. So huskies uh, are, are bred to run. That's, that's in their DNA. And so they're not necessarily going to key in on an owner or be as dependent on an owner as, say, a golden retriever is. And so if you have um, a behavioral, a dog behavioral specialist, that could be utilized, that individual's unique understanding about the idiosyncrasies of breeds could be used by the court to determine who's going, which owner is going to be able to best provide uh, for a you know, a fulfilling life sure. for this animal. And that would be in furtherance of the court's obligation to determine its well-being. That's just one example. Right. I'm guessing climate, all kinds of other things could be Absolutely. Huge. Climate. Environmental, mm-hmm. having a fenced-in yard would probably be a consideration, right? That's for kids, too, I think, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Very important, yeah. Having a place for the dog to recreate uh, right. without having to go to a dog park. Uh, because human beings being what they are, you know, a person could say, I'm going to take them to the dog park every day, but that can get to be kind of... It could be raining. It, it could be three It could feet be of cold. Snow. It could be like a, a polar vortex, right? <laughs> yes, and yes. and what do you do with the dog? Does the dog then just stay indoors all day, right? So uh, having a, a, a you know, fenced-in yard is a tremendous feature for a dog. Absolutely. Interesting. So you mentioned the different breeds. I have a standard poodle, which comes with... Uh, expenses. They have to be groomed and have their hair cut more often than a lot of other uh, breeds. How do they handle the finances? Or it wouldn't be child support, it would be dog support. Does that exist? So did you know that poodles were originally bred to hunt? I do know that. Yes. They're wonderful hunters. Yep. And I've seen actually uh, pictures where um, hunters have uh, dyed their their poodles blaze orange and, Mm -hmm. and blaze pink. So anyway, uh, so the answer to your question is, yeah, absolutely. Um, the statute requires the court to determine the well-being. And in certain instances, that could mean joint ownership. And if there's joint ownership and, and shared possession of the animal, then there's going to be presumably duplicated expenses. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a, a decision, uh, there's going to have to be some discussion about how those expenses are going to be shared or split. So if the parties agree, great. Right? The court's going to rubber stamp or approve basically whatever the parties right. agree to in writing. However, where they can't agree, the court's going to have to determine what are those expenses and how do if I'm going to award joint ownership, how do I split those expenses? Now, how does that work for things like medical? I know, you know, again, just being a pet owner, having been for a long time, we actually adopt a lot of geriatric and special needs animals, so we're very in touch with the, co- the medical costs. And you've got really two schools of thought, and a little bit in between, but you've got the people who will spend every last dime to keep an animal alive, 
and you've got other people who look and say, it's a companion animal, I love it, but it's a pet. And sometimes you've got both of those extremes in one family. What happens then if they're agreeing to split it half and half? Do they have to put in some kind of provision in the marital settlement agreement that says medical medical up to this or whatever's reasonable? And how do they determine that? Because we've sat there times where we've had a sick animal and we've said, you know, not how much do we love it, but what is a reasonable thing to do with a pet? So that is a multi-layered question, which would really require a multi-layered answer. So I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but suffice to say that when a court awards personal property, and that's what companion animals are, when it all boils down, it's property. The statute requires that that, or historically provides that that award of property is final not reviewable in the future. However, the interesting feature about this new statute is that the court is required to determine what the well-being of the animal is. And the statute doesn't say well-being at the time the court enters its order or well-being at the time that it's being asked to look at an issue after the divorce might be entered. So this brings up the whole issue of modifiability. And whether or not, in this unique instance, an award of property could be modifiable. Because if you are awarding property and you are setting, uh, allocating expenses for this property, uh, it might change in the future. And the parties may not agree on how to deal with that change. So you have to then either agree, and if you can agree, then you have to bring the issue back to the court. Well, it's gotta be interesting, because there's, like anything else, increasing cost as an animal ages and becomes geriatric or has issues with it. Animals like kids don't get any cheaper, I'm finding out more and more every day. Right, and and to kind of um, put a cap on that answer, I would say that on a failure of the parties to agree on an issue that comes up after the, the divorce judgment is entered, and on uh, the failure of their agreement to specify you know, this unique circumstance and how to resolve it, I would say that that's the kind of case that's going to end up in front of the, 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 this, the judge, and the judge is going to have to uh, make a determination about what's in the well-being, consistent with, with the requirement in the statute. The problem is there's this is such a new law that there is no guidance. There is no uh, specificity in the statute or common law cases uh, dealing with how to interpret the statute. So it's kind of a the great wild west right now. That's really interesting. Again, we're here uh, in the studio at WGN with Steve Rakowski talking about what do you do with pets in a divorce? And uh, cover some really interesting points. Mariah, over to you. You had mentioned kids. When the agreement is being negotiated or when um, the courts get involved, what kind of waiting? I mean, I know that I'm really attached to my dog, but I know the kids in my house are really attached to my dog. How do they weight that into the equation? So I would imagine that if a court is faced with the issue of allocating responsibility for the kids, and simultaneously allocating or determining the west, the well-being of the dog or companion animal, if it's a cat or a horse or 
a, a, a boa constrictor or a tarantula. Yep. Uh, the statute doesn't define what a companion animal is. It just says it can't be a service animal, right? Because there's a separate statute regarding service animals. But I would I would uh, suggest that in a situation where there's kids, if the if the animal is bonded to the children, that's a large consideration for the court. The children, and, and conversely, if the ch- if the children are bonded to the animal, but what what if, say for example, the the husband and wife or partners buy an animal and gift it to the children, right? You know, they're never giving it to the children. <laughs> I, I might have said they were always going to feed it, and I've got empty food and water bowls all the time, so. But I hear what you're saying. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> then it could very well uh, be an issue of the dog following the children. Right? It could also be a situation where the 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 dog uh, is traded back and forth between households with the children for parenting time during the parenting exchanges. Is there ever a component where the well-being of the kids supersedes the well-being of the animal? And by that I mean, let's say you've got a custody agreement. One spouse is getting the kids, but the other spouse tended to take care of the animal. But because the kids are of a certain age and the trauma of the divorce itself is so much that the, the, either the, the different parties or if it were to go in front of a judge, they would look and say, this is going to add more mental stress to the kids. So we're going to temporarily leave it with the kids or come up with something where they're trying to balance because the well-being of the animal would be with the spouse that's the main caretaker. But then maybe you've got two kids who are, you know, their house is being divided and there's a lot of tumult going on. And now all of a sudden you're going to take their pet away. How do, does that ever play into it? You know, I haven't had a case, honestly, uh, like that, Doug. I haven't seen that yet. Um, if I was going to guess... Right? And, and a lot of this is, is just that, uh, because we don't have too much guidance in the statute yet. But if I was to conjecture, I would say that the primary consideration of the court above property division issues, above child support, above maintenance, is the uh, best interest of the children. Got right? it. The statute, the divorce statute basically mandates that first the kids are taken care of, right? They're determined, it's determined where they're gonna live and when, who's gonna make decisions for them, and in what circumstances. So I would, I would suggest that if that's the primary consideration of the statute, that the well-being of the animal is gonna come in, so in a like distant a second, absolutely, a distant second to the best interests of the children. You had mentioned that there's a different statute for service animals or support animals. I know there's been a large increase in um, how service and support animals are used. How is that different from companion pets? So, I, interestingly, I saw a piece on the news last night about a, an individual a gentleman in the south suburbs here in Chicago who has a, a, a service alligator and actually took took the alligator on an airplane. I was going to say, try and fly with that one. <laughs> Um, so the, the types of different animals that people use as service animals and, and, um, and support animals, uh, is exponentially, you know, growing. Right. 
And so the statute, uh, I would say that the statute involving the service animals um, adopts a different standard, but the person who registers that animal as their service animal or support animal is likely going to be the party who is going to be uh, awarded that if there's ever crossover between service animal and companion animal. Got it. Interesting. Now, the other part that, that came to my mind, and I think we talked about it when you were presenting it at the Collaborative Law Group, was if it's part of a business, uh, if someone's a breeder and it's a source of revenue, but then it's also a companion animal, I'm guessing that creates, a, again, a, a dissonance between the different considerations. What would take precedence? Would it be the, the, the business side of it or the companion side? I would say that the, the well-being requirement in the statute would take precedence over the financial side. Got it. Now, that said, there's going to be real financial ramifications in a case. Let's say you own Lassie, and Lassie was worth a million dollars, but okay. the entire rest of the marital estate maybe might be worth $250,000. So if Lassie is awarded to one of the spouses, one of the partners, then there's a huge disparity there in terms of uh, value of the two partners' respective shares of the marital estate. How is a court going to make that up? Right. Um, you might have to take a loan against Lassie. You might have to go to Lloyd's of London and get wow. uh, a loan to pay off the other partner's share of Lassie. Right? Interesting. And then it's tied, of course, to how long the dog might live because... It's a risk, it's right? A risk. You could get awarded that dog and, and potentially the income stream associated with that dog. And I'm, again, I'm using dogs, but no slight to alligator people. Yeah, they've got monkeys now <laughs> who, who are all over YouTube and things like that that are picking up all kinds of value. Right. But an individual can be awarded that animal with an obligation to perhaps over time pay off the other spouse's interest in the animal because it's marital property, right? And- <clears throat> and the dog can die the next day. Right. Right? Right. And, and then what do you have? You have a, a, a court order requiring the previously awarded spouses uh, or an obligation of that previously awarded spouse, right. an obligation to pay the other spouse, and that doesn't go away. That's a court order. Right, right. Well, thank you so very much. I think it's, uh, we might have even called this uh, something else to fight about, I guess, you know, because everyone will find something to fight about with all of their possessions and things like that when going through a divorce. But great insight on the topic of figuring out what to do with the animals. I think um, as you see more and more out there about just the size of the pet market and the complexity of it now and people getting massages and all kinds of different therapies for their pets and clothes and all kinds of things that that has bled over into the divorce space. And I find it fascinating. So thank you so very much. If, uh, if you again want to want to uh, give information about your firm. I would like, if I can, to give a shout out to Collaborative Law Institute. Absolutely. Absolutely. I so love that. Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois is a group of divorce professionals, attorneys, psychological professionals. We call them coaches. 
And one mortgage banker. And, right and, and, <laughs> and financial experts. Right. Uh, from business valuation experts to uh, financing experts like you are, Doug. Yep. And uh, we, as a group, uh, help divorcing individuals achieve a dignified divorce through multidisciplinary approach and instead of litigating the case we meet and focus on taking out leverage eliminating force from the reason why people make decisions in the process in place of force we put in goals right mutually uh, determined objectives and goals and we get the parties to acknowledge the other's goals, work mutually towards achieving them and eliminating their concerns. In that way, we oftentimes are able to help them reach an outcome that is tailored uniquely to their particular unique lives that a court couldn't award, right? An outcome, an order that uh, deals with their particular circumstances and resolves all anxiety in their lives. Absolutely. It's a wonderful way to approach a divorce situation. And I would, uh, I guess, direct people who are interested in learning more about Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois to go online at collablawil.com. And if you're not in Illinois, uh, the International Academy of Collaborative Law is also available online. Yeah, Mariah's actually a fellow, so we're big, we're big yep. fans of the, of the organization. International Academy of Collaborative Professionals is the overarching national organization. Correct. And I believe that just about all states have their own individual uh, collaborative practice uh, organization sure. as well. Fantastic point. And so... Uh, thank you very much again for no, allowing thanks. me to be this here with great you and share and, all this and information. Thanks for the plug on the collab side because I do think uh, Mariah and I are huge believers in the collaborative piece. I know she's a fellow. I'm working toward becoming a fellow. So, yeah, absolutely. Great. Look forward to working with you both in the future. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for joining us today. And we just want to remind you that you can come through your divorce with your finances, your integrity, and your sanity intact. Be prepared, ask questions, and be split ready.